Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Tonight, I had something different that I was that I'm getting ready to. Maybe we'll start on Sunday. And and this morning, as I was reading, the Lord just brought something up in my spirit, and and I felt led to teach it tonight. And so this is called the key to promotion from the Lord. The key to promotion from the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. The key to promotion from the Lord. If you guys will put that on the screen for him, the key to promotion from the Lord. The key to promotion, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's not about talent, it's not about skill. Promotion from the Lord doesn't depend on your talent, it doesn't depend on your ability, it doesn't depend on skill. It's not about making deals, it's not about who you know, it's not about who you don't know. It doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter if you're a man or you're a woman, this works for every single person. Hallelujah. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the key is, and it might be something that is unexpected. Well, never mind. They put it up for you. I'll tell you what the key is, and then I'm going to teach you from the Bible. Thanks, guys, for anticlimactic there. (laughs) The key to promotion is this. It's probably not what you expected because when you hear sermons like this, the key to promotion, man, you're thinking, I I don't know, business, X, Y, Z. Maybe your mind, if your mind's like mine, went in a completely different direction when you heard that title, and this is very unexpected. But biblically, the key to promotion from the Lord is humility. I want you to say humility. Humility. Tonight, we're going to talk about humility. Praise you, Jesus. Turn to Matthew 5. We're going to read 3 through 12. I'm going to show you through the Bible how the Bible teaches that this is the key to promotion from the Lord. Matthew 5, 3 through 12, it says this. This is the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I want you to underline that right there. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Say heaven. Heaven. So God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him. Basically, this is the same thing that Jesus said. He said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick because the healthy don't need a doctor. A sick do. Jesus said, I did not come to call the, the righteous, but those that are know that they're sinners in need of repentance. This is exactly what it's talking about. It's not talking about impoverished, poor. If you're poor, you're more blessed. No, it's actually talking about this. You understand that you have a need for God. Amen. And it says, what will happen to those? What will God give those that understand that they have this need for him? They will inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's their possession, the kingdom of heaven. Keep reading verse 4. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be 
comforted. Again, when it's talking about mourning, it's not necessarily talking about grief because you lost a family member or something like that. Even though the Holy Ghost will comfort you if that's your situation, what it really in context, it's talking about you mourn. You grieve your sin. You see that you've done things that God deems unrighteous and unholy, and it brings grief to you, and you have a heart of repentance to be made right with God. That's what it's talking about here. Uh, Verse 5, God blesses those who are humble. If you have a highlighter, highlight, circle, underline, do whatever you got to do to make this verse stick out. This is a key to life right here. God blesses those who are humble. Say humble. They will inherit what? The earth. Highlight that part. The earth. So it just said that God blesses the poor, they'll inherit heaven, the kingdom of heaven. But now God blesses those who are humble, and their possession shall be the earth. Let's keep reading. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Another translation says righteousness. Again, it's all in this context of I know that I need to be made right with God. It says, for they shall be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they shall see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they shall be called children of God. Y'all, we could just literally teach sermons over each and every one of these. But for the sake of tonight, I'm going to keep going because I have some things I want to show you. Uh, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven. Say heaven. Here's heaven again. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, and lie about you, say all sorts of things, evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Yes, be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven. Circle heaven. Say heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So what's interesting here in these Beatitudes, three times Jesus mentions heaven, and one time he mentions earth. In this, he's giving us a key. He's showing us how to not only, number one, store up treasure in heaven, receive an inheritance in heaven, receive eternal life in heaven, but also a key to receiving an inheritance here on this earth. Amen. He, I just, when I read that, I remember a year or so ago, the Lord just had me stop, and it's like, he says, heaven, heaven, heaven. And right there in that one little phrase in verse 5, he uses the earth as the example, as the possession. Amen. So let's read this again. Verse 5, God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the whole earth. Another translation says, they shall possess the earth. The key to possessing the earth, the key to promotion on this earth, the key to inheritance on this earth is humility. Amen. Okay, so let's break a few words down here. God blesses. Another translation would say blessed. What is that word blessed? What does it mean to be blessed by the Lord? Well, when you actually look at the Greek lexicon, that word blessed, it gives you some scriptural examples of this blessing. So let's look in the Bible at some of these examples. Number one, Deuteronomy 33, 26 through 29. What does it mean to be blessed? Here's a scriptural example of this blessing of this word in action. It says this, there is no God 
There is no one like the God of Israel. He rides across the heavens to help you. So look, part of the blessing is God rides across the heavens to help you, across the skies in his majestic splendor. The eternal God is your refuge. Say refuge. His everlasting arms are under you. Part of this blessing, he's your refuge. His arms are under you. He drives out the enemy before you. That's part of the blessing. He cries out, destroy them, so Israel will live in safety. Say safety. Part of the blessing is safety. Prosperous. Say prosperous. Prosperous Jacob and security. Say security. In a land of grain and new wine. While the heavens drop down dew. Let me read that line again. So Israel will live in safety, prosperous, Jacob in security, in a land of grain and new wine, while the heavens drop down dew. This is a promised land. It's a part of the blessing is a land that overflows with milk and honey. Part of the blessing is God taking his people to a place of abundant provision. Hallelujah where it says that, that he sends rain from his rich treasury in heavens. I talked about this Sunday in the offering, but literally part of the blessing is when God, God is the source of your increase. God is the source of your promotion. God is the source of your assets multiplying, your wealth multiplying. He sends rain from his treasury in the heavens. That basically means that God puts his hand on your job. He puts his hand on your occupation. He puts his hand on your life, and he causes it to multiply. That's a part of the blessing. (laughs) How blessed, say blessed, are you, Israel? Who else is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your protecting shield. Look at this again, part of the blessing, protection. He's your protecting shield and your triumphant sword. Your enemies will cringe before you and you will stomp on their backs. So when it says God blesses, this is what it means to be blessed. Hallelujah. Man, y'all missed a really good place to shout right there. That's great. Another scriptural example When you look at the Greek lexicon for the word blessed, one of my favorite verses, who knows what it is? Psalms 1, 1 through 3. This is the lexicon's example of blessed. Blessed, say blessed, Blessed. is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but he delights in the law of the Lord and in his law meditates on it day and night. He shall be a tree planted along the rivers of water that bears fruit in its season, whose leaves never wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Hallelujah. Say prosperity every season. So God blesses the humble. What does that mean? He prospers you every season like a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit all the time. He multiplies you. He puts his hand on you and brings you to a land of new wine, of new grain, where he sends dew from heaven where he's your shield, where he's your refuge, where he's your tower, where he scatters your enemies before you. This is what the Lord does for the humble. Hallelujah. So what does it mean? Here's the major question then. If the key to life, to promotion, the key to the blessing is one of the keys, I should say, all the beatitude. He said blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the humble. It's the same word used every time. That means that if I'll acquire those attributes, then the blessing of the Lord will be upon my life. 
Hallelujah. People say, well, I don't feel like the blessing of the Lord is really active in my life. Well, do you have those attributes? Amen. And so what does it really mean to be humble? Bless. God blesses those who are humble. I want you to say the word meek. In the New King James, it doesn't say God blesses those who are humble. It says God blesses those who are meek. What does meek mean? I'm going to show you a, a long definition, but this is so good here. Meekness means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, meekness. That's okay. But under this definition, it actually gives us a, a really solid understanding. If you, if you look this word up in the lexicon, this Greek word here, and this is what it means. I believe we'll have it for you. Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting. Think about that. To be meek means I accept God's dealing with me as good. Praise the Lord. Without resisting, without disputing. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who wholly rely on God. Rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Say injustice. That basically means in the Old Testament, if you were meek, it meant that when you were wronged, you didn't take action into your own hand. You relied on God to be the judge of that circumstance. Thus, meekness towards evil people means this, means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict, they inflict and that he is using them to purify his elect, and that he will never, he will, I'm sorry, he will deliver his elect in time. I want you to hear me. This isn't talking about just letting the devil eat your lunch, but the Bible says that when you're tested, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You missed a good shouting plays right there again. The Bible says that when you're tested, consider it an opportunity. Wow, I think that I don't know if they can read that. We should have made that a little bigger and split up. Just take a picture of it, zoom in, and try to write it down because that's great. You need to get that there. The Bible says when you're tested, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? Because then you can develop endurance. And when your endurance is fully developed, it says that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Hallelujah. So what this is talking about is that sometimes you will go through things that are a test of your faith. Sometimes you'll go through circumstance where you feel like, I got the short end of the stick right here. Can I tell you, the Bible says that you don't give up, you don't quit, but you actually just put that in the hand of God and say, I'm going to allow God to be the judge. I'm going to, be the, the, I'm going to allow God to be the Lord over this situation. I'm going to step back and just accept it. I'm going to step back and I'm going to be okay and I'm going to keep my faith and I know that the Lord's going to handle it on my behalf. That's exactly what this is talking about. And so it says, gentleness or meekness, listen to this, is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. Say assertiveness. Listen to this right here. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. Man, I've been wronged. 
Do you know what the opposite of meekness is? I've been wrong, so since you did me wrong, I'm going to come do you wrong. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You were mean to me. I hear people talk like this all the time. You know what? I'll be just fine until you cock an attitude with me, then I'll cock an attitude with you. Because if you don't respect me, then I'm not, you know, they just kind of had this ghetto mentality. Truly. The kids call it what? A bougie? <laughs> Ratchet? Is that the word now? But the whole point here is that you just accept, you accept the injustice, it says, and instead of self-assertiveness, where you feel this need to, I am the one that needs to make this thing right, you just totally step back and accept it and put it in the, hand, in the, in the hands of the Lord. And how can you put it in the hands of the Lord? Because you understand you, it stems, that stems from your trust in God's goodness and control over your, the situation. I'll give you some illustration to help this make more sense. A gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of human will. So I gave you a very simple definition here. I'm going to read it to you. Being meek is this. It's totally humbling yourself under the hand of God. Completely relying on him to take care of you to reward you, to promote you, and to bring you justice. Never asserting yourself, but entrusting everything into his hand by faith and confidence of his goodwill and intentions towards you. Hallelujah. So being meek, when the Bible says God blesses those who are humble, those who are meek, this is what it means. It's somebody who puts their life, who humbles themselves completely underneath the hand of God. Completely, say completely. I completely rely on him to take care of me, to reward me, to promote me. I don't have to go and put other people down at my job to make them look less so that I can look greater, so that I can get ahead. My promotion is 100% in the hand of the Lord. Man, this person said something evil against me and they're trying to destroy me and my career and my life and they spoke against my family. Well, instead of going and asserting yourself to make that wrong right, you leave it in the hand of God and allow yourself to be wronged and consider it great joy because your faith is being tested. That's what it literally means to be meek. How, how can you have that confidence? Well, let's look at some examples in Luke 18. Turn there. Luke 18, 1 through 8. I need to get moving. Give you some examples here. Luke 18, 1 through 8. This is the parable of the persistent widow. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who has neither feared God nor cared about people. Well, let me just debunk something. People use this parable and think that it's an illustration of God. Is that an illustration of God? Does he not care about people? No. Say no. no. So this is, the judge is not an image of God, okay? 
It says, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Wow, okay. So people think the lesson here is, is learning the lesson from the widow. That just constantly people say, see, you just have to keep bugging God with stuff, and then finally he'll say yes. No, if, if that's what Jesus meant, he would have said learn the lesson from the widow. That's not what he said. Learn this lesson from the judge. Even though he rendered a just decision in the end. It says, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Say quickly. So basically, here's the whole point in what Jesus is saying. He's telling this story saying this woman comes to this judge. The judge doesn't care about her. The judge doesn't, care, doesn't fear God. But she just constantly keeps pestering him until finally he does what she needs. So Jesus' whole point is, if you could get, if that woman could get a man that doesn't care about her or fear God to ultimately give her what she needed, how much more will your heavenly Father who loves you grant justice to you quickly? That's the, what he's actually teaching here. So that's the intentions that we have, that God's will towards me, his will is to give me life and life abundantly. God's intentions towards me is prosperity. God's heart towards me is not going down, but the, the way of the righteous is like the first light of dawn shining brighter and brighter to the full light of day, that the Lord's trying to lead me to green pastures, to still waters, to a cup that overflows with blessing. So if I am being judged unjustly in this situation, I can totally step back and put it in the hand of God and know that whatever Whatever's happening, the Lord will make it right and use it for my prosperity. That position is what the Bible calls meekness, being meek. Hallelujah. Give you another example of what they taught. They taught meekness in the early church, Romans 12, 17 through 21. It says this. Paul said, never pay back evil with more evil. Why? Because I don't have to. I trust the Lord to make right what was wrong. Never, said never. Yes. Pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do, you, uh, do, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, the Lord says. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How do you actually conquer evil? The devil tells you, you got to get right. No, you don't have to get right. You bless those people. Man, they're talking to me. You don't wouldn't believe the smack they're talking to me at school. Bless them. 
That person that, man, I don't know, girls can be catty. Talking about you, what if you walked up and said, man, you know what? You look really pretty today. Not uh, One of the guys, you say that to a girl, they're like, oh, I don't know about you. I'm saying a girl, hey, you know, just, I like your shoes today. You, look, you, you bless them, you're kind to them, you're nice to them, and you don't feel this need of, now I have to get right and I have to get even. No, that revenge belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. I want you to say this. Say, I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury. And I'm not the executioner. I'm the one who blesses. And the rest is up to the Lord. Hallelujah. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. This one's convicting here. Look at this. It says, when one of you has a dispute with, one, with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matters instead of taking it to the believers? Guess what? If you're a Christian, you cannot sue another Christian. No, you can't. How dare you file a lawsuit, Paul said, and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to the believers. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even little things amongst yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go outside? Why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? Am I, I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Listen to this. So not only does the Bible say if you're a believer, you can't sue another believer. The Bible says if you're a believer, you shouldn't sue unbelievers. You know why I believe that? Because his reason and why you can't sue another believer is because of how it will look to the unbeliever. Well, if you're the righteous suing the unbeliever, how do you think it's going to look to the unbeliever that you're trying to win to the Lord? It ain't going to look good. He says this. Look at this line here. Verse 7. Again, even, if, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? You don't understand. I was cheated. He says, why not let yourself be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the one who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. What's his point? Why would I take that position to let myself be cheated? Meekness. I totally trust the Lord to make right what was done wrong to me. Hallelujah. What did God say would happen to this person? You would be blessed if you're meek. And you will possess the earth, the Lord says. Hallelujah. So, it says this now. First Peter 2, 21 through 23, last, last example I'll give you of this. It says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. Say, Jesus is my example. 
And you know, and you must follow his, his steps. He never sinned and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Jesus didn't retaliate when he was insulted. It says, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was meek. People think meekness means that you're just this quiet, scared of your own shadow. No, that's not what meekness means. Meekness is not weakness. It's different. They're different words. They're not even spelt the same. Meekness means I totally, completely put my life, my promotion, my blessing, justice, every situation in the hand of God and believe and believe and trust in the Lord to make right everything that was wronged. Thank you, Jesus. You know what a really meek person will do? There's a promotion that's up for work. Instead of asserting yourself and dominating, and I'm not saying you don't believe, you don't confess, you don't do all those things. You do. The Bible tells us to. But a truly meek person will say this, Lord, after I've stood in faith, if somebody else gets that promotion, I'm going to trust you then. I'm just going to believe that maybe I wasn't deserving of it. Instead of asserting myself, I totally put my life in your hand, and if it didn't happen, it's for, you know, it's for a reason. Hallelujah. But again, I'm not talking like you just live with the, with the cards that are always dealt with you because the devil will put things in your path that, you, you know, you have to know. Here's the point. You have to know when to command authority, and you also have to know and ha be able to discern and be meek before the Lord and trust the situation into his hand. Hallelujah. So what's the result of being meek? You will inherit the earth, the Bible says. Matthew 5, 5, God blesses those who are humble or meek. They will inherit the earth. What does it mean? What is it talking about, inherit the earth? Well, let's break another word down. Inherit, say inherit. What does it mean to inherit? This Greek word means to receive an inheritance, to be an heir, to receive the portion assigned to one. To receive an allotted portion, to receive a possession, to become a partaker of, to obtain. Guys, there should be a word in that definition that sticks out to you. What's the word? Receive. Say receive. receive. Say receive. receive. What does it mean to inherit? Essentially, it means to receive from the Lord. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall receive of me, says the Lord. Where shall they receive of you? In heaven? Nope. He says on the earth. The word earth, if you look at that Greek word, it literally means what you think. Physical earth, not the new heaven. It literally means land. Say land. land. Opposed to the sea and water. I'm going to go so far by faith to say this, that if you're meek and humble, God will give you land. Hallelujah. You'll possess the earth. The key to becoming a person of influence in a community, the key to becoming a person that God uses, a person that God uses to possess the land, to occupy the land, is meekness before the Lord. I don't have to assert myself. I trust the Lord to take me there. Praise God. 
Anytime that we start asserting ourselves, we're stepped out of meekness. Look at this here. Meekness is a fruit of the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. If you read it in the King James, verse 23, it says, meekness. Say meekness. Instead of gentleness, it says meekness. Temperance against, there is su- against such there is no law. Say meekness. Well, let's go ahead and answer this question then. Is prosperity for everyone? Well, according to just this teaching right now, is prosperity for everyone? Well, if the Holy Ghost produces meekness, and meekness causes the Lord to give you possession of the earth, then yes, prosperity is for every believer that has the Holy Ghost. You missed a good place to really shout hallelujah. (laughs) Here's the summary. When you humble yourself to the Lord like this in all matters of life, Jesus said God would promote us and give us possession of the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Let's keep reading now. Matthew 23. Turn your Bibles. Matthew So, 1 through 12, let's begin to read. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. It says they wear robes with extra-long tassels. Basically, what you're going to see here is Jesus is saying the Pharisees, they make a show of themselves. They wear these prayer, these big old prayer boxes and these long robes to go out in front of everybody and say, look how holy I am and how righteous and amazing. Okay? So it says this. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi or teacher. Look what Jesus says, though. He says that's what the Pharisees do, but verse 8, don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher. And, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. I hope ministers, other ministers would watch this back on this, on this live stream and hear that. All of you are equal. Equal, equal. 
Well, I'm the man of God. Well, I'm the woman of God. Well, I'm the prophet of the Lord. No, Jesus actually said you should not. You know, if people honor you, that's one thing, but no person should assume that place themselves. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, Lord, I don't even know if I should tell the story because I'm genuinely not even upset about it. I just think it's funny. Uh, but when I was in college, there was I was a, at a young adults gathering, first time I'd ever went. And... Went to this church. They were having this, like, we're going to start our young adults ministry off this year. We're going to meet at this pizza place, right? So let's go, all these college kids, meet us at this pizza place. We'll hang out, get to know one another. So I go. First time I've ever been there. My best friend in college, his name was Brian, okay? The pastor of this young adults group was named Ryan, Pastor Ryan. And so I'm, I show up, and my friend, he's standing across this pizza place. It's loud. There's all these people, and I'm trying to get my friend's attention. His name was Brian, and I say, hey, Brian, Brian. And the guy walks up to me and goes, it's Pastor Ryan to you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, number one, great. That's great to know. Nice to meet you, Pastor Ryan. Number two, I said Brian, not Ryan. So, you know, <laughs> anyways, but that's kind of the whole point is this self-asserted, self-exaltation, self-importance. Jesus said, don't even let anybody call you teacher. Well, does that mean that nobody should be a teacher? No, we know that teachers are one of the five-fold gifts given to the body of Christ. But what's the whole point? Don't assert yourself over people in that way. You're going to see in just a moment this humility Jesus is talking about. You, you need to realize this, and we've been preaching the fire out of this when it comes to the gifts and calling of God, where everybody's equal. I want you to hear me. The, the person that you look up to, the minister, some of you veteran Christians that you look up to the most on this earth, you're equal with that person. Hallelujah. Don't address anyone here on this earth as father, for only the only God in heaven is your father. <laughs> What's he talking about? You know, you just hear like, I mean, we used to have the weirdest conversations with people in Dallas. My wife can tell you. There's one time, bless her heart, this girl came up to my wife. She was the same age as my wife, and she was like, took her out. My wife thought, Man, we're just two girls that love the Lord. We're going out to fellowship. This will be a great time. At the end of the night, she sits my wife down and says, I would like to be your spiritual mother. <laughs> my wife was like, number one, we're like the same age. You're not even old enough to be my physical mother, you know? But I mean, like there's really, I guess I'm teaching this to you because there's really kind of a weird thing that's happening in this day and age. Well, that's my spirit. I'm their spiritual father and, and weird stuff like that. I'm not talking like you don't spiritually father people. You don't teach people. You don't act in those roles. But you just, you never assert yourself over people and, and become self-important. Jesus said you only have one father. In fact, what we should do is actually help people, teach people. Yes, father people, but ultimately don't point them to you. Point them to the father. Man, you're looking at me as the father, but if I'm actually really fathering you, I'll teach you how to look to the father as the father. Hallelujah. You're looking to me as your teacher, which is great. I'll teach you, but I should really, if I'm teaching you right, I should be pointing you to the teacher, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Ghost. Don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be 
a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, so let me break a few words here, a few words down. Matthew 23, 11, let's break this down first. He says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Okay, greatest, Jesus said greater. Say greater. Or greatest. That word literally means exactly what you think. It means greater, it means larger, it means stronger, it means elder. The greatest one amongst you, the truly great one, Because think, in this context, he said there's all these people that are trying to claim father, trying to claim teacher, trying to claim leader, trying to claim all this stuff over you, but the one that's truly great is the servant amongst you. What is the word servant? It's the Greek word diakonos, 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 diakonos. This word just keeps popping up. That Greek word in English is translated deacon. The greatest among you is the deacon. I'm going to show you what a deacon is. A deacon is this, one who executes the commands of of another. So Jesus said that truly being great was not just being the one that calls the shots. Being truly great in the kingdom's eyes is being one that can execute commands of other people. What does that mean? Because you're humble. There's a lot of people that couldn't do that. Why? They're too proud. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me how to do it. But true, true, the truly greater one is the one that can submit, that can come under and humble themselves. And it says execute the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, attendant, a minister. Another definition of deacon is the servant of a king. The last definition is this. It's a deacon is one who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church cares for the poor and has charge of and distributes the money collected for their use. A waiter, say a waiter, one who serves food and drink. Hallelujah. Guys, I'm telling you, all of you that serve in these kitchens back here, you're cooking food, you're serving people, you're standing behind the counter doing dishes, count it all joy because you're great in the Father's eyes. Hallelujah. And those of you that aren't, that have to leave because you have kids, you do so many other things that are great. When you serve, you're great in the Father's eyes. That's what truly makes you great. So let's stop building wrong platforms. You know, we, I actually saw this quote, and it's so true. It says, we worship people that portray a war hero who are are a Nobel Prize winner. What does that mean? We worship actors. We worship actresses. We worship and idolize these people that just simply pretend to be other people, but yet we don't know the names of the true war heroes. We don't know the names of uh, the Nobel Prize winners. We don't know the names of those that are truly great. And we do the same thing in the kingdom. We build platforms and we create celebrities and different people that we idolize. And then you begin to think because you're just serving, well, I'm not as great as her. I'm not as great as him. But in the Father's eyes, the one that serves is greater. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So really the definition of of a deacon is one who undertakes all secular and practical issues for the ministry of the word to go forth. 
So if you remember, I taught you that in a church, there was two appointings. There was bishops and deacons. Bishops were what I am. I've been appointed by God to preach and teach the word of God. That's what I devote my time and attention to. Well, equally with bishops, they would appoint deacons. What would deacons do? They would handle all the other affairs that had to be taken care of so that the word could be preached to the people. If Jesus said, that person's greater. Hallelujah. So the deacon is the person that says, I'm going to make sure everything is taken care of so that those appointed to preach the word can focus on that. If you do that, you're greater. Hallelujah. I give you props. You're greater. Praise you, Lord. <laughs> Look at verse 12, Matthew 23, 12. It says, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I want to read this to you in the King James. And whosoever shall exalt, say exalt, himself shall be I like the King James because it doesn't use the word humble. It uses another word, abased. He who exalts himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let's go ahead and just break a few things down here. Number one, what is exalt? If you exalt yourself, Jesus said, what does it mean to exalt? It means to lift up, to honor. So those who lift themselves up, those that honor themselves... It, lead, it literally means to assert yourself. Those who assert themselves as teacher, as father, as master. It means to elevate. A, an actual literal interpretation of this is when Jesus was exalted or lifted up on the cross. Jesus was actually put on a beam that, that lifted him up above the earth. He was hanging on a cross. His feet were off the ground. That's what it means to be exalted. And that's what it's talking about metaphorically. You lift yourself up before men. You know what Jesus said would happen to those that do that? You will be abased by the Lord. What does it mean to be abased then? Abased means this, to make low. Say low. If you lift yourself up, the Lord will make you low. It means to level, say level. To reduce to plain. To bring into a humble condition. If you lift yourself up, God will bring you to a humble condition. To be ranked below others who are honored or rewarded. To be ranked below. So it says that if you exalt yourself, you'll be abased. But if you'll humble, say humble. What is that word humble? It's the same word. It's abased. It's the same Greek word. So basically, if you'll make yourself low, if you'll reduce yourself to plain. You know, and I think that preaching is the same thing. I get up here and I, you know, I'm just sitting in the point. I just want to have fun. I just want to be myself because I, I'm like, I don't take myself that seriously. I take the Lord very seriously. I don't take myself that seriously. I'm pretty plain. (laughs) To bring into a humble condition, if you'll put yourself in a humble condition, if you'll rank yourself below others who are honored and rewarded, then the Lord will exalt you. What does that mean? Then the Lord will lift you up. The Lord will honor you. The Lord will assert you. The Lord will elevate you. 
So here's the summary of this. If you lift yourself up, God will make you low. God will level you. The Lord will reduce you to plain. The Lord will cause you to be ranked below others who are honored and rewarded. But if you'll humble yourself in meekness, say meekness, before the Lord, he will lift you up and he will exalt and elevate you to a rank where you are honored and rewarded. Humility is the key to promotion from the Lord. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Examples of this in the scripture. It says this in Psalms 138.6. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Well, Lord, I do not want to be a person that you keep your distance from. He keeps his distance from the proud. If we're proud, God keeps his distance from us. Proverbs 3.34, the Lord mocks the mockers but is gracious or gives grace to the humble. You're a mocker, the Lord will mock you. Proverbs 29.23, pride in, say pride. What is pride? Exalting yourself, honoring yourself, self-asserting, elevating yourself. Pride ends in humiliation, but with humility brings honor. Humility brings honor. Turn to James 4, 6 through 7. Almost done here tonight. Y'all enjoying this? Hallelujah. James 4, 6 through 7. It says this. He gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's basically what Jesus just said verbatim. Verse 7, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus said, those that exalt themselves will be abased, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. But now, James takes it to the next level. Not only will you not be exalted, will you be made low, but it says the Lord opposes the proud. The Lord opposes the proud. I'm going to tell you what that word opposes means in just a moment and I'm going to tell you it's not a fun word it's not a it's not a very good word <laughs> so again the a proud it's very simple god opposes the proud who's the proud the proud is someone showing oneself above others say above others overtopping with overweening estimate of one's means or merits So basically, it means that you just think of yourself like, man, I'm the bee's knees. I'm the best thing since sliced bread. Let me just tell you how my means, how blessed I am, how prosperous, how successful that I am. Let me tell you how good I am. Let me tell you of all the things that I've done. Let me show you this great work and then tell you that if you do what I did because I'm great, then you can get what I got. That's showing a display of your own merits. That's the Bible definition of being proud. It means to be haughty. What does the word haughty mean? Well, I'll give you an example in the Bible, Proverbs 6, 17. It says, haughty eyes are a proud look, 
What is a haughty eye? It means the attitude that makes one that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. The Lord hates. I guess it, it says it in verse 16. The Lord detests. Say the Lord hates. You know, God's a loving God, but there's seven things it says in Proverbs in this chapter that he hates. He hates. Say he hates. One of them being haughty eyes. What's haughty eyes? Having an attitude that makes you overestimate yourself and discount others. Look how great I am. He hates it. So now say opposes. So the Lord opposes those people that do that. What does it mean to oppose? Guess what it means in the Greek? It means this, to battle against. God fights against the proud. Not only, well, well, you know, it might be hard and, you know, it won't produce anything good in my life if I act that way. No, literally God goes to war against you. <laughs> Man, whoo. He fights against the proud. That's what it means to oppose. So it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. Say grace. To the humble. Who's the humble? To humble yourself it just simply means to make low. It means meekness. That's what we already went over, the meekness before God. To make myself low. To count God great. Understand why Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Hallelujah. You start tasting success. Some of you are getting in this blessing of the Lord. Man, I'm telling you, don't get haughty eyes and a proud look. Say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Hallelujah, Lord, if I make a million dollars, it's by your grace, and it's because you're great, and I am, I'm very humble, Lord. Hallelujah. And so it says he gives grace to the, to the humble. This is great. This word grace, it actually is the word favor. He gives favor to the humble. Let me just explain something about the favor of God. Well, what is the favor of God? What does it mean when God gives you favor? It's the same word used in Luke 2.40. It says there, the child grew, the child being Jesus, grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor, say God's favor. God's favor was on him being Jesus. So basically, what does the favor of God mean? It means a lot of things, but I'll break it down simply. It means grace. It means doors. Say doors. Open doors. Say opportunity. Good fortune. Favor is opportunity. It's doors. It's good fortune. It means this. Things supernaturally go your way. Things are just coming, going my way. Things are working out for me, and it's beyond the natural level. It's supernatural. When God makes something that should have taken five years happen in six months, promotion, 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 opens up the mail, and there's a $1,000 check. What is that? That's favor from the Lord. Hallelujah. What is it when you walk into a restaurant and someone hands you a wad of cash? That's favor from the Lord. Hallelujah. Things supernaturally go your way. So I'm going to simplify this verse. When it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, it basically means this. When you're proud, God's hand comes on you and pushes you backwards. And when you're humble, 
God's hand comes on you and pushes you forward. If I'm proud, God's hand comes on me and I'm trying to run and I'm trying to go and he's, pu- he's not just holding me still. He's actively pushing me backwards. But then when I'm humble, it's this favor, it's this grace where his hand comes behind me and he makes happen what I could never make happen for myself. He makes it happen supernaturally by his favor. Hallelujah. He gives grace to the humble. Last part, and I'm going to close with this tonight. This is 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. We're going to read 5 through 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your, old, to your elders. This word submit, it's going to give us more insight into what it means to be humble. He says this, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So not only should young people submit to their elders, but we should be submissive to one another. What does that mean? I'm submissive over to you. You're submissive over to me. They're submissive over here. They're submissive over here. We're submissive. There's unity in the body of Christ. You say, well, what does submissive mean? Well, you could kind of misunderstand that word. Submissive means this. Submit to means to arrange under. Subject, to obey, to yield to one's admonition or advice. To arrange under. Say to arrange under. So basically, you young people, put yourself under your elders. Christians, put yourself under one another. I was talking to Brother Tanner about this, and, and, and it's so important that we, we have people, brothers, sisters, not only leaders, brothers and sisters that we're submissive to one another. I've heard it said years ago, and it's so true. The devil deceives people. That's his job is he's a deceiver. He deceives people. But the thing is, a person that's being deceived doesn't know they're being deceived. Do you know that? If you're being deceived and you don't know it, you're not being deceived, you're stupid. I mean, that's what the guy said. He said, if you're being deceived and you know it, then it's not deceit, it's stupidity. Why? Because you know you're being lied to, but yet you still just accept it anyways. A deceived person genuinely doesn't know they're being deceived. So here's my point in this. You have to have people in your life that you trust to see things that you don't see necessarily. You have to have people in your life that, can, that have the right to speak into your life and say, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? I see something here. And then, you know, in your flesh, you could say, well, that's offensive to me. Well, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good. But yet I have submitted under you as a brother, as a sister, where I actually trust that it's possible that you see something that I don't see in myself. Hallelujah. And then if we do that, then we can make ourselves deceit proof where <laughs> we're not deceived by the devil. Right. Hallelujah. Where you genuinely just sit back and you say, you know what, I have these three people in my life that they could say something to me and even if I at first thought completely disagree, I've made a covenant with them where I will at least for sure go and take what is said to the Lord and truly evaluate, am, are they seeing something that I don't see? That's, that's what it means to submit to one another. 
to arrange under subject, to obey, to yield to one, uh, one another's admonition and advice. So it says, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Hallelujah. Part of that word humble, again, it's, that sub, it's all in context, to submit to one another. The New King James says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Say humble. What does it mean to humble? Again, it just simply means meekness, to come underneath the hand of God. Remember that definition of meekness? I don't take wrongs into my own hand to make right. I trust the Lord in all matters, in all circumstances. Humble, humble yourself under the hand of God. I put my life under his hand. My promotion in life is under the hand of God. <laughs> And if I don't get promoted, I'm not going to whine, I'm not going to cry, and I'm not going to throw a fit and then lose the faith and, get, and just lose all my Christianity and faith because things didn't go my way. No, I'm going to receive the Lord's correction and in meekness submit every part of my life underneath his hand. And if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it says this, he will exalt you. Again, it means promote it means exalt. It means lift you up into a place where you are honored and rewarded. Praise you, Jesus. I want you to say due time. I almost missed this when studying, and the Holy Ghost quickened me to go back to this verse. I already had my notes done, and the Lord said, you forgot a part of that verse, in due time. And I said, in due time. I went back. This is very important. That word due time, there's two different words for time in the Bible. There's chronos, which is like chronological. It just means the timeline. And then there's kairos. What is kairos? Kairos is, it's not timeline. Like from the time Jesus was here to where at, there's this linear timeline. That's chronos. Kairos means the exact appointed moment. A purposed moment by God. That word due time is the word kairos. If I'll humble myself under the mighty hand of God, he will promote me, he'll exalt me, he'll, he'll, I will possess the land. I'll step into greater things in the exact kairos moment, the most opportune moment in time the Lord has reserved for me. I trust you, Lord, that if I submit myself and surrender myself to you, I don't have to fret about anything because the second everything's aligned, that you'll promote me into that place. Hallelujah. Man, that's so good. I want you to say open doors. What does this mean? He'll exalt you, this kairos moment. It means open doors, Isaiah 22, 22. The Bible says that the Lord, talking about Jesus, I'll give him the key to the house of David. The highest position in the royal court, will he, when he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. Those open doors is this kairos moment where the Lord exalts you because you've humbled yourself. And when God opens a door, it says this. No one will be able to close them. You know, that's the difference between promotion that comes from man and promotion that comes from God. 
If you have to fight and scratch and claw and assert yourself for promotion, guess what? You may get it, but the Lord didn't open that door. A man opened that door. In the same way that a man opened that door, a man can shut that door. But when the Lord opens the door, it says no one can shut the door that the Lord opens. Hallelujah. So if I humble myself, the Lord will qualify me for a certain level of promotion. And when I step into that level of promotion, as long as I keep sin out of my life, I'll never go backwards again in the mighty name of Jesus. I prophesy that in this room, that some of you, the Lord's just promoting you into higher levels of wealth, of exaltation, of this, of, of, of this blessing that, that comes upon the humble. And when you step into it, the Lord says you'll never go backwards. What the Lord brings you into this year, you'll never go backwards. It'll never be decreased. It'll only be increased. That, that, that ceiling that the Lord's bringing you to very quickly will become your floor, and you'll never go lower than what is now. You're looking up as your ceiling. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, and he'll close doors, and no one will be able to open them. I'm going to read one thing to you, Deuteronomy 28. I want you to notice something. Say, he will exalt me. It says this, verse 2 of Deuteronomy 28, you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and fields will be blessed. Your children and crops will be blessed. Your offspring and herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Everywhere you go and whatever you do will be blessed. The Lord, say the Lord, will conquer your enemies when they attack you. Who will? The Lord will. You won't have to conquer your enemies. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. It says they'll scatter from you. Uh, they'll attack you in one direction. They'll scatter from you in seven. The Lord, say the Lord, will guarantee a blessing on everything that you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. Say the Lord will fill my storehouses with grain. The Lord will bless you in the land that he is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord, say the Lord, will establish you as his holy people as he swore that he would do. All the nations of the world will see that your people claim by the Lord and they'll stand in all of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will. What does that look like? It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due times. Praise God. The Lord will bless you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in heavens, and he'll bless all the work that you do. You'll lend to many nations, but you'll never need to borrow from them. If you listen to the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord, say the Lord. Guys, here's the difference. So many people are trying to assert themselves in all of this. I'm supposed to be prosperous. I'm supposed to be the head and not the tail. I'm supposed to be above and not beneath. And then you'll end up going into a situation where you get wronged, and you know what you'll start doing? You'll start self-asserting yourself. You can't treat me like that. I'm blessed by the Lord. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm not talking about not knowing your identity in Christ, but it says the Lord. Say the Lord. 
will make you the head and not the tail. If you'll humble yourself, you won't have to make yourself the head. The Lord will make you the head. Praise you, Jesus. If This is Deuteronomy 28. That was verse 13. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. It says, you'll always be on top and never at the bottom. The Lord will make you always at the top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow after God's other gods and worship them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You guys believe it? You receive it tonight? Praise you, Jesus. So the key to promotion from the Lord is humility. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.